How many of you here have ever heard the expression, the, the old saying that, that, that for marriage to survive, for a relationship to make it, that it, it, it takes a couple being willing to meet in the middle, that, that it's got to be a 50-50 deal. Now, now listen to me, church. That sounds good and, and, and it's okay and it contains some truth. Uh, but the biblical fact is that for any relationship to survive and for, for both parties to, to uh, come together in holy matrimony, in marriage, both parties have to give 100%, not just 50%. You see, the 50-50 prototype sets up actually a line in the dirt or in the midfield. How many of you know there's a 50-yard line on a football field? And so it tends to set up a, a, a line in the sand, and I will go up to that line, but you've got to come meet me on your half to that line. It sets up a, I've done my part, or I've done pretty good here. Now, you've got to meet my expectations of what that other 50% should be. However, the all-in concept says that I'll go not only the 50 yards, but I'll go to the other end zone to meet you. I will go. I'm not concerned about how far you will go. I will go. I will go through space and back. In outer space and back. I will go to the other end zone to meet you in the relationship, not just 50-50. It's an all-in prototype. This is what Jesus meant when he said to pick up your cross daily, to crucify self, and to follow me. Listen, church, a death to self, a death to self, is the only place where there's true life for self. Let, let me say it again. A death for, to self is the only place where there's true life for self. My wife June recently told someone who was, who was touting how he thought he had done everything that he possibly could and that his wife needed lots of prayer. And she looked at this person and said, sometimes it's better to have them with you than to just be right. Sometimes it's better to have them with you than to just be right. You see, the 50-50 model says that I'll only go up to this point. The all-in says I'll go to the other end zone. The second one, the all-in principle, is Christ-like because that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He went to the other side of the field for us. Do you know that at one time the divorce rate in church was 50% less than the divorce rate out in the world? I remember that. The divorce rate was 50% less here than it was out in the world. And today the stats show that it's exactly the same percentage. Divorce rate in church is the same as it is out of the church. No difference at all. There's a completely, a, a, a smorgasbord of opinions on divorce also in the church. Um, from complete legalism where there's no divorce allowed for any reason at all to complete, complete liberalism where there's no-fault divorce. Where, and there's so many degrees in between those two. And I don't want to camp out on that because it's a no-win argument and we'll go on forever and ever with that. What I want to do here today is 
I want to help you strengthen, and next week also, and in this whole series, to help you strengthen your marriages, to grow your marriages, and, and to see your relationship as a living thing that needs to be nurtured, needs to be grown. Also, as we said earlier, we want this series to lead up to Brother David and Miss Haley's class, United, that's starting January 31st, correct? And we want all of this to build up to that, okay? Let me ask you in here, has anyone in here ever heard the phrases waterproof? You know, raise your hand, waterproof, sure. How about life-proof cases for your phone? Yeah, that one got a bunch of hands right there. How about child-proof? You ever had that? How about, yeah, a lot of hands. How about shatter-proof? How about sound-proof? How about leak-proof? How about rust-proof? How about divorce-proof in your marriage? And I believe that the same principles can apply that are in the Word to our marriages and that we can divorce-proof just as waterproof, rust-proof, shatterproof. All these things can apply to our marriages if we follow biblical principles and the biblical mandates that we should follow God's Word into our marriages. By the way, did I mention that we're having Brother David and Miss Haley's class starting January 31st? Right here at Living Faith Church. Turn with me in your Bibles or turn on your devices to Genesis chapter 1 for our proof text. Let's start in the very beginning. Genesis 1, 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female he created them and then God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it turn with me to chapter 2 verse 15 and then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it and the Lord God commanded the man saying every tree and garden you may freely eat but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper. A helper. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman. And he brought her to man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. One flesh. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. As Jesus had just taught and he was returning, he was gone uh, from Galilee and he was in the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and the great multitudes followed him. Verse 2, 19-2, Matthew 19-2. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. And the Pharisees, the religious folk, also came to him, testing him, trying to trick him, trying to get him between the two schools of thought in that day of divorce. And trying to get him to say something wrong so they could charge him at the Sanhedrin. 
And they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And they ask him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Church, let me share with you today in the beginning of this series some fundamental truths. We're going to build on these truths. We're going to get into the technical aspects of this all-in and divorce-proofing your marriage. But I want to build it on a foundation of three biblical principles. Fundamental truths about marriage. First of all, marriage is of divine origin. It's not of human convenience. It's not of civil contract. It's not of an agreement because it's good for taxes. It's not because it's what all the others do when they reach a certain age or it's something that's cool to do because we get to have a wedding and dress up and and, 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 and wear a tux and a gown and all. It is of divine origin. Have you not read, He, God, who made them in the beginning, made them male and female for this reason, that they would leave their father and mother and be joined to his wife and to her spouse, and the two shall become one flesh. You see, Jesus here is trying to trick, is trying to take those who are trying to trick him back to the word of God, just like he did with Satan who tempted him in the desert. They, listen, listen, they were trying to excuse their ungodly immorality, and he was telling them God's plan for morality. He was saying God's creation is the blueprint for marriage. That man and woman, husband and wife were made in his image to love and to grow together as one in constant fellowship with him. They had taken something holy and had changed it what God never intended it to mean. Really, they were taking his perfect plan and they were changing and and, and twisting it in an effort to hide their own sinful hearts and their own sinful ways that were going on that day, to feel right in their own eyes, an effort to gloss over sin and make it acceptable. Now, dear ones, listen carefully. What I'm about to say, I say with all the love and yet all the earnestness that I possess. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Not one man and three women. Not one man and one man. And not one woman and one woman. 
I don't say that to be harmful, to be cruel, to make a political stand. I say that because the creator, the author of marriage, and the creator of the universe, and the creator who fashioned us and made us says that's what it is. No more and no less. And as in Matthew 19, we see today an effort by organizations, by politicians, by even religious denominations to gloss over the truth, to suit their desires, and to make sin seem normal. As Christians, as Christians, we should have no fear, no hate, and no malice toward those who are living a homosexual lifestyle, who are even engaged in same-sex marriages, which are, according to God's word and his heart, are not marriage. But we should only have love in our hearts. And those we know who are our friends, who we work with, or who are even our family members, who are involved in that sin, we should show them extreme love. They should know that we love them because Jesus loved the sinner. He hated the sin. And I want you to know as the pastor of this church, all who walk through those doors will be welcomed and loved and received. And their sin, whatever that sin is, will be dealt with as sin, but we will love them as Jesus did. If their sin is anger, if their sin is unforgiveness, if their sin is stealing, if their sin is immorality in the form of pornography or anything else, if their sin is adultery, if their sin is gossip, if their sin is lying, they will be loved and they'll be welcomed, but all will hear the same truth about sin equally and in love. Marriage is of divine origin. And it's a man and it's a woman. Secondly, marriage is meant to be permanent, we see here in these passages. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. I tell couples at weddings all the time, let me tell you something. This, this isn't only just a, a civil legal contract. It's, it's, it's way more than that. This isn't some 90-day trial period that you're, that you're going into here. This isn't like a balloon note at the bank where every five years we're going to re-up and refinance, and I might refinance at another institution. This isn't something that you say that you, you feel like you have arrived after three years, five years, 12 years, 20 years, or 30 years. My brothers, we were just talking about it today. Married for 47 years and 52 years. 50 in July. Do you ever feel like you have arrived? Do you ever feel like you've made it? Okay, we don't have to work on this anymore. We don't have to love each other. We can just give it up because now we've got all of the investment and so we can coast from here. To, it never is like that. You never arrive. It's meant to be permanent, okay? And with Jesus Christ in the middle of that relationship, he is the glue that will bind you together forever, forever, until death do us part. 
till death do us part. Not till 30 years of marriage do us part. Not till you're looking older do us part. Not till you've had eight kids do us part. Not till your body parts start malfunctioning and then we'll look somewhere else. Not till your body parts are moving in different parts of your body. Not until you wake up and decide that I've missed my youth and so I'm going to go find it. No, 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 no. Not until you wake up one day and say, well, the passion just isn't here anymore. Listen, church, those are all excuses for trying to follow your own plan and your own selfish desires to gloss over sin just like the Pharisees were trying to do. I think God made marriage permanent because he knew it would take a lifetime to get anywhere close to doing it right. So often we get married. I see young couples and they get married and, and, and they have these, these, these glasses on. They're rose colored. <laughs> and, and they just, they're beaming and glowing in, in each other's arm. And this, oh, he's this and she's that and everything else. And, and, and they, they don't understand that this is just another flawed person that, that they're, they're getting involved with. You know, it's just, it's, this is going to be like we're getting married. And so God has now waved his magical wand over us. And we can live in heavenly bliss from now on. And those temper tantrums that I saw in him or her are going to go away. And all of that overspending is going to stop because now we're married. She's not going to scream anymore after the wedding. He's not going to sleep till 11 after the wedding. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, my goodness gracious. All of a sudden, they wake up about three days after the wedding, and that knight in shining armor has now become a potato on the couch. <laughs> Everyone laughing has been there. Oh, 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 oh. Did I happen to mention that David and Haley are starting their united marriage enrichment class January 31st, right here at Living Faith Church. And they have been well trained. The best I have ever seen. Raise y'all's hand. I just want to make sure they know who you are. Right here, right there. June and I made a compact about being permanent when we first got together, actually before we were married. We made a compact. We made an agreement. And that agreement was this, that in our home, the word divorce is not going to be spoken. It's not an option. Agreed, we can get as mad as we want. We can storm out the door. We can go to mother-in-laws or, or outlaws or somewhere for a day. Whatever happens. But divorce is not an option. It's not mentioned. And we have stuck to that. There's no escape clause in our marriage. And then lastly, marriage is God's cornerstone for an orderly society. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There it is. The two shall become one flesh. The creation of a new family. Have you ever wondered about that? Ponder that for a second. Ponder that. Think about that. Come together, and there's a new family. Well, I came from this family, but now we're a new family. 
the man leaves mom and pop, and he cleaves, he cleaves to his new wife to start another family unit, the basis of an orderly society. God deals in earth. God moves in earth in three institutions, the church, the family, and the government. Marriage is one of those three institutions. Also, when you get married, it sets a new standard of priorities for that husband and for that wife. It's new priorities. All of a sudden, the me is now the us. All of a sudden, I have someone here and then children, other people that I am responsible for. And my priorities should change. And we're going to get into that in weeks to come in detail. That priority list, of course, is God first, spouse second, children third, then your extended family members, then your work and your ministry. And divorce tears down this structure. It destroys the godly fiber of society. Satan loves it because what it does is it reduces God's perfect plan for relationship into simple agreement of convenience. And what a shame. You know, I, I say this often, that today I think marriage means less than when I was in high school going steady meant. How many of you in here are old enough? Do they still have that today? Going steady? They still do? No, no, they don't. Okay. Going steady for you younger people, when we were in high school in the 1800s, what it, what, it, what it meant was you had a girlfriend that you would date and you would only date her. You'd go up to her and you'd say, do you want to go steady? And that meant that you were serious. And you would date only, is there a term for that today? No, I hear, no, there's no term? Boyfriend, girlfriend, that's it. Okay, going steady meant, they'd say, is this your steady? Yeah, this was it. This was my girl, and I was her guy. And in those days, you had a ring. You would even give her a ring. You remember? Look, she's shaking her head. Y'all know what I'm talking about. A promise ring. You would give her a ring. I had a ring that I gave my steady girlfriend in high school, and you were committed. Now, in those days, if you messed up, if you were not faithful to her, I mean, she'd come hit you on the head with a frying pan, brother. It was serious. So in those days, going steady, I find, was had more commitment and, 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 and more worth, didn't it, than marriage is today. It's, it's amazing what has happened through the years. This idea of cleaving together. Does anybody know what cleaving means? Anyone in here besides me because I looked it up? Does anyone know what cleaving means? It means to be glued together, to be joined fast together, bound as in glue, binding people together. A close union, the closest union possible, much more than living together, much more than having sex, much more than even having babies. It's a union of the spirit and soul with dedication and consecration and completeness. A union of three parts, physical, mental, and spiritual, sharing one love, and one spirit, Philippians 2, and one mind, and that is the mind of Christ. You know, at weddings, I'll, I'll tell couples this. 
and, and, and there's some of you in here that I'm, I'm trying to look that I have married. You've heard me say this, a, a godly home with Jesus in the middle of that home. With God there, a home is certainly a place where angels can dwell. But if God is not there, look out, it's just a matter of time. The opposite will also be true. Now, in closing, I want to say this, that as we go through this series, today was just a foundation. So you've got to come back. You've got you hooked. You've got to come back to hear the application of it. I'm going to address some serious and tough issues. Some very serious things. But I'm going to address them in love and hopefully with grace. I, I, don't, want, uh, I don't want to fall short because of emotional, even cultural pressures today. Let's say a pastor can't talk about that. But I also don't want to preach this without grace. With truth. Because grace that threatens truth isn't grace at all. But truth apart from grace requires perfection and we will all fall short. As Christians and as a church here at Living Faith, listen dear ones carefully. I want to emphasize marriage as a divine, holy union between a man and a woman, a sacred commitment sanctioned by God and sealed by vows before God and man. And we need to instruct our young people and even our old alike on godly principles, on biblical skills, and how to grow and how to divorce-proof your marriage. Hey, 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 hold, hold, hold on. Did I mention that David and Haley are starting United January 31st, huh?